This is Courtney Freeman. I'm here with Conscious Cannabis. Jennifer Wetzel is our guest today. We'll be speaking with her. Uh, first, we'd like to introduce a giveaway. Stay tuned to the end of the show so you can find out how to enter. Um, we will have some notes on our Instagram account, which is White Buffalo Spirit. I don't know if you can see that. Here we go. It's La Loon. So in honor of the pink super full moon, we're doing a giveaway of the La Lune necklace. This is crystals and cannabis jewelry line from White Buffalo Spirit. And uh, my bud base gave us this jewelry stand, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> Happy to share that. All right, I'd like to introduce you to Jennifer Wetzel. She's an amazing woman in the cannabis industry. Uh, she has some great branding with Lady Jean Branding. She works with some archetypes that are really interesting. Uh, if you haven't learned about that, check it out. Uh, she also has an education course on Althea.Solutions platform, and we're here today talking about the Women in Cannabis Study, a groundbreaking data solution. Uh, we're looking at what's going on in the industry and taking away some insights. So stay for the end of this broadcast so you can understand what those insights are. Uh, Jennifer, I'm turning to you. If you would please introduce yourself uh, and then uh, tell us how you came to be working in the cannabis industry. Thank you, Courtney, for that introduction, and I'm so excited to be on here. I really appreciate you having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, so my background is in all things marketing. Um, I spent time um, in merchandising, in PR on a military base in Japan. Um, I worked in an advertising agency. I went to Miami Ad School for account planning and strategy. Um, I worked in a, a qualitative and quantitative research a consumer insights firm. I was a VP of marketing and an animal health supplement company, and I've worked in experiential marketing. And then I had a really rough year. It was 2018. I um, lost that job, and then I needed to move my mom here to take care of her, and she wasn't very nice. I had oh. a car accident. I got divorced, and then I had PTSD. Um, and realized I really could not go get a job. I needed to create my own. And so um, creating Lady Jane branding was part of my healing process. Cannabis was also part of my healing process. In fact, it's why I moved to Maine so that I could get my medical card. I was struggling with symptoms from an autoimmune disorder and an immune disorder. Um, and I was able to use cannabis and therapy and brain retraining and my creativity building this business to heal and so I wanted to be able to give back to the cannabis community because that's how I that's how I healed myself um, now the stuff that I use for my branding it does work for for any type of business um, but I wanted to focus on on cannabis it just made the most sense for me well, we have so much creativity in this industry too. So if you're going to be marketing and branding, this is a really fun space to be doing it in. Uh, yes. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your vulnerability here and telling us about, you know, what your medical interests were for coming to cannabis. Um, I think it's worth highlighting that within our industry, so many of us have been drawn to plant medicine for our own needs. And we continue to share that information with others as we move through on our journey. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. It, I think you know, stories are powerful and it's how we, we know that we're not alone and we can get through stuff, you know, so that's why it's, it's important to talk about that stuff. Um, so, you know, when I was building the business, I spent a lot of time at my caregiver's house and I met a lot of entrepreneurs uh, who were working in cannabis and I, I realized that many of them had no background in marketing and advertising. And I saw a lot of the branding that was out there, at least in the market where I am in Maine, um, 
well, there wasn't very much. And so I thought if I could provide tools to entrepreneurs who are good at what they do, not at marketing and branding, um, that were simple and easy to use and low cost, um, high value, um, then I could help there be more professional looking branding out there in the marketplace because that really does help um, get, it, it helps with consumer trust. You know, we're an industry that we need consumers to trust us and good branding is very helpful for that. And, and so what I, I, I just want to, I just want to just highlight, I was reading something about um, reaching Gen Z today. And um, this is something that's been going on for a while, but one of the kind of, um, I guess, integral moments here is that we're, we have a switch from uh, previously where people might be able to advertise without uh, any kind of backup information, like just, you know, like just looking at the cigarettes in the 60s, like you could just tell people anything <laughs> and they might right. believe it. Whereas today, not only are we more skeptical and especially with Gen Z, more skeptical, but also um, more information is at our fingertips faster and more readily available than ever before. So this is where authenticity really comes into play. And I think you're highlighting that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, what I saw in the market is just, there wasn't a lot of, uh, um, I'm going to use the word diversity, diversity in the branding. You know, a lot of the brands were focused on either stoners or medical, you know, a, like a doctor kind of brand. And or a, so or a woman in a bikini. <laughs> it, yes. And so that's why I developed the archetypes because I wanted to give brands, uh, I, there are 16 archetypes that are specific to cannabis. And I wanted to give brands 16 different directions or, uh, inspiration for different types of brands, different types of brand identities. So for example, there is a stoner and there is a doctor, but there's also an activist and a magician and a healer and a sensualist uh, and a farmer. So that way, when brands are defining their brand identity, their personality, their tone of voice, their values, they can use the universal qualities of these archetypes to help build their identity. Mm -hmm. And then it makes sense to consumers because they get it. Like they understand what an activist is all about or what a doctor is all about. So it makes it easier to make an emotional connection with your consumer. It's brilliant. It really is. And I love the way that you presented it too. Um, when Jennifer and I met, it was at a conference. And so I was able to see firsthand in person, um, the 3d standups and their cutouts that they, and each of them represent one of the archetypes. And it's, it's just really demonstrative of, you know, who you want to reach, but also in terms of building up, uh, what your, your kind of ethos looks like and where you want to reach. It's really great. Thank you. And so what I've been building since, um, well, continually building, but I'm building a platform um, that allows brands to actually do multiple, multiple choice branding. You know, so I have not just the archetypes, but once you know your archetype you, and you know your, your motivational theme or the theme of your brand story, then I give you multiple choice selections for the words to choose for your values and your personality and your tone of voice and all of those things so that you're not just making it up. You know, you have choices. Then we look at visual design categories and I have four of those categories. And then we look at color palettes, font choices, and even examples of ads and packaging and products that are already out there in the market so that I can help brands um, write a creative brief that says, I want, I like this, but I don't like this. So that we can give a creative, a roadmap, you know, do this, not this. And that helps brands really cement that identity without having to, come up with it themselves like it's in it's in there it's in their head but if you give multiple choice it's a lot easier for them to get 
to the brand. Yeah, well, anytime you can see kind of examples of what people are doing. And I think like, one of the things for me, uh, for my organizations, is I really always take, try to take a very original approach. But I know that in the world of business, you know, it's just, it, you can be oftentimes much more successful if you're using a format that people have already seen or that they already resonate with. Um, a lot of the social media accounts, for example, do really well. Who re They repurpose the same images that have performed well previously. It's something I have a hard time getting around because I always want to be, you know, creating original content, but it's something that people can, uh, can like, you know, just leverage a little better when it's been done before and they see, you know, how they can approach it and how the format can come together. Right. It's a great tool. Yep. So um, I think this is a good time to talk about um, the topic for our show, Conscious Business Practices. Uh, you have this groundbreaking study, the Women in Cannabis Study, and uh, you've had over 700 participants from the United States and then beyond, and you've been able to really kind of hone in on some, uh, some pretty like, spectacular data. So we're looking forward to hearing you know, your thoughts on that, and then um, in our next segment, we can talk about uh, your foresight for the future and how we can leverage this data. Right. So um, the, the women in cannabis study, um, as you said, we now have over 900 responses in three countries. Um, the study is about 100 questions, uh, quantitative questions, plus we did about 20 qualitative interviews. And we did have over 450 women request qualitative interviews. So we're still looking at, at ways to to get that Wait, tell, the, tell us what that means is that the is that the share your story aspect or well um in the quantitative survey so j the the regular survey we've asked women to to share uh, a top line you know a, a top level of their story and then we did 20 um uh, telephone interviews uh, half hour interviews with some of the women just to get more in depth into those stories. So it's that telephone interview that we um, uh, want to do more of, but haven't, don't have the budget for at this time. Well, we, we give you some applause for attempting this anyway, because anytime that you add an additional layer of human touch, it does require some resources. So this is also a good time to say, hey, everybody, uh, if you're interested in supporting this study, we'd love to have your input, help us get the study out faster. And uh, this will be beneficial for everybody in the industry and beyond for years to come. Yes, it will. Um, and so the, you know, with those hundred questions, we're looking at a number of different topics. Um, you know, we talk about basic demographics, of course, um, but then how women got into the cannabis industry. Where did they come from? What are they doing now? Um, we are looking at um, uh, their um, cannabis use, for example, their, whether they can use cannabis at work. Um, we are looking at balance and self-care, um, skills and education. Um, and then we have a, a lot of equity measures. Um, and that is, um, that's what I would say is going to provide us the most information in terms of, you know, how can conscious business practices help the cannabis industry? Because um, we need it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, the data is, is confirming the stories that I have been reading online on social media. You know, part of the reason I did this study was to quantify those stories. I mean, I, the stories on social media about bullying and harassment and sexism and bias, there's so many, um, but they're just stories. And so I wanted to 
quantify that because, you know, anecdotes aren't data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now yep. I have the data and the data says, yes, um, there's a problem. You know, we ask, do you feel that the industry is equitable for women? And only 11% of women said yes. 11. That's terrible. <laughs> so we have a long way to go and we have a lot of, um, well, we have a lot of information that's telling us what's wrong. And so now we need to come up with those solutions for how to fix the industry. And I'll tell you, now is the time to do that. I mean, the world around us is a little bit, it's a lot broken. Um, Our economy's broken. Now is the time for us to make changes to this industry so that we don't end up like tech and finance. It's time for us to make changes. Yeah, we're, we're here during the quarantine cam. Um, I'm in Los Angeles and uh, we are, you know, working through some challenging times. We're kind of, I think, in the early stages potentially of uh, the lockdown and we don't know what's going to happen to the economy. Uh, cannabis businesses have been really coming out in full force to create solutions and help fellow businesses create solutions for the economy, what they're doing with their businesses and how we're going to pivot. So we're excited about that. Um, I think what you said about anecdotal evidence is such a trigger for us in the cannabis industry, uh, coming from cannabis medicine and that world uh, up to this, you know, the, up until the last like 10 years, we didn't have a lot of research. And now, you know, or, uh, companies, excuse me, countries such as Israel have come forth with some great actual data. And so now for you to come forward and say, you know, it's not just in medicine that we need these hard facts. We also need them in terms of the social component and uh, what we're doing to really create structures for our industry that are strong and formidable. And, um, you know, coming from a time when uh, many of our players were living in the shadows or working behind the scenes, now that we're coming forth and we're actually, uh, you know, playing on the global scale, we want to have this industry research industry data, and it's more valuable than ever. So again, thank you. This is, this is fantastic work, and we're looking forward to seeing where we can go with this. Um, so continue. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, you know, some of the things that, that I see, oh, I wanted to just get back to what you said about research. Um, I, did a, I did a lot of research before I started my research, and I looked at the McKinsey uh, and Lean In dot um, org study on equity and um, inclusion. And there were a few questions that I worded very similarly so I could compare. And our numbers uh, were, the cannabis industry's numbers were lower in terms of being worse than other industry for some of these equity measures. And I'm gonna be talking about that. Um, I'm still doing some analysis on those numbers, but it doesn't look good. Um, so one of the things that, that I'm seeing is, um, benefits. And this is really uh, important specifically now when people need um, paid sick leave or health insurance. And Mm, um, in in this survey, um, we asked the question, what benefits are available to you through your employer? And then we asked business owners, what benefits do you offer to your employees? And for the employees that, that, um, that are getting benefits from someone, someone else, it's only about 60% who have access to paid sick leave or to health insurance. That's not enough. Um, and then when we look at um, small businesses, uh, female-owned small businesses, and the majority of the, the women in the study who own a business have between one and five employees, and the numbers were really, really small there. Only 26% offer health insurance to their employees. 
and only 38% offer paid sick leave. And so, you know, this brings the question, like, how do we help if our government is not going to provide us these things, the health insurance, how do we make sure that everybody has access because they don't today? So that's an important thing that we need to figure out. Like, is it important for businesses to offer benefits? I, I would say yes. Well, I think um, just as an industry participant, I think we're we're operating at a disadvantage uh, in comparison to other industries in that uh, we don't have the same number of high level roles even today, and that's been that's been consistent, uh, you know, in the history of this industry. Um, I'd like to see that change, but um, unfortunately, that's the case. And if you know, if we're looking at women-owned businesses between one and five employees, I think that's fantastic that we have uh, we have businesses so many that are you know thriving in a space state that they can do that. In California, uh, there's now new legislation limiting um, uh, contract workers. So what was already an issue, you know, California has some strong labor policies. And uh, we found that in the United States in the last, I'd say, 50 years, labor costs have been a major issue. And that's why much of our manufacturing has gone overseas. Um, that's why our development for technology has gone overseas, customer support, et cetera. So we're already seeing a crunch in terms of what businesses in the United States can really afford to uh, contribute to employee costs. And now uh, with economic crisis, I think we're a little bit more uh, under that, that kind of pressure. So um, it's great that we are bringing a focus on this as an issue within the industry. And uh, the sad reality is that we do have some disadvantages. So without government support, without banking, all these additional resources, and even here now with the COVID-19 stimulus packages, not really funneling through to cannabis businesses, that's just another area where uh, we're not getting the support we need. And now that cannabis is essential, uh, this potentially gives us a little bit more of a foothold and opportunity to affect change, um, but it's it's still it's still a challenge. So uh, you know it's good that we're we're highlighting this. Yeah, and I feel like um, traditional solutions that that industries have relied on in the past may not be the answer. Like, I think now is the time for um, innovative solutions that that break the norm. You know, I don't know what those are honestly. Um, but I think there need to be some. And I think um, conscious business practices that focus on um, like double bottom line or um, you know, making sure mm -hmm. that your employees are cared for and healthy, like those are some things that could be injected into this industry um, to ensure I've that we it. can. I've seen a few things, um, specifically in terms of cultivation, where businesses did give uh, their their employees an opportunity to be a part of the, or the organization. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that there has been an effort. And that's, I, before we got started, I, I gave Jennifer a briefing on the show. And uh, the reason that we're talking about conscious business practices is because within the industry, cannabis industry, CBD, uh, we do have a bigger interest in uh, supporting uh, the health and wellness of our participants and the world at large through plant medicine. Many of us, as I said, come to this industry seeking healing for ourselves or for others. So uh, with compassionate use and the history of how this industry came to be, there is a bigger element of conscious business practices. So whereas we could not necessarily, you know, highlight this in other industries or talk about this with um, so much candidacy, um, I think in this industry specifically we can. And uh, we do have individuals and companies that have come forward 
with greatly innovative solutions. And we're looking forward to seeing more of those when we need them most, which is right now. <laughs> yeah. And how do we, how do we share what's working? You know, how do we, um, for the companies that are out there that are, that are doing things that work well, mm -hmm. how do we make those common practice? Because, you know, the way business works now doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be working quite well. So I, I know there are solutions out there that, uh, that could help. You know, the other thing that, it, that I think is evident in this um, industry is, you know, a lack of um, policies and procedures and HR departments and mm -hmm. you know, the people that are, that the people that exist in organizations who are supposed to be keeping track of these things, like those people don't exist in a lot of the, the, the mm -hmm. cannabis companies because they're, they're still startups and they're still trying to get off the ground and we're all wearing multiple hats. Right. Um, so, so how, do, how do we, how do we help those entrepreneurs do better? You know, because a lot of the stories that I'm reading in this study, you know, are from women who work in small businesses and, you know, the, the harassment, the bullying, the, the, um, <laughs> well, let's touch on that. So, um, in one of your, uh, emails, you, in your emails about the women in cannabis study, you touched on a very limited equity, a sense of equity for women in cannabis, yet we have more diversity likely than any other industry in terms of where we're going with our leadership. And, uh, so that's something that is interesting because other industries have problems with diversity. And we don't have the problem with the diversity so much, but we do have difficulty with equity. So are there areas that you've seen in the state that are unique to the cannabis industry that we can talk about and potentially look at solutions for? That's a good question. Um, I would say, I would say most of my findings are, are consistent with what's going on in other industries. Um, like for example, the, um, the sexual harassment. In fact, um, one in three women in the cannabis industry in the survey um, has been sexually harassed. Um, and that number goes to one in two if you ask about have you been sexually harassed at any in any industry before you came to, to cannabis. And the majority of women in this study have come into the industry in the past five years. You know, so um, the fact that half of the women who work in this industry have been sexually harassed is a problem. Um, and, and when we look at who's doing it, it's colleagues, it's executives, it's supervisors, it's investors, it's clients. It's can we, can we drill down to what segment of the industry these women work in? Is that, is that something that is evident in the data? You know, that is something that I can look at. Yes. Um, I, I, in some of the, um, I'm just at the top level analysis right now mm -hmm. and I need to go yeah. further for a lot of it. But, you know, one thing I did, um, I, I did look into is that LGBTQ women were more likely to be harassed. Oh, harassed. oh, really? Okay. Yes. That's um, an interesting finding. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that it, it's, it's widespread, like it's not just one instance. It happens multiple times. It happens from multiple perpetrators, you know, so it, it's, it's an issue. Um, well, I think with with your study that you're doing now, my my hope is that 
you'll come back with a new study in five years or 10 years, and then we can really kind of do some postmortem and look at what's happened before and then make some more additional insights in terms of our progress and where we're going with industry and how the work that you're doing with this study is going to contribute or has contributed from a, from a future tense standpoint. Yeah, and, and that's actually a good segue. I'm trying to, uh, my goal is to do this study every other year, if I can, um, with the off year being a male allyship study. So there are a number Ooh. of questions in the survey that I want to also go ask men um, and then, you know, have some questions specifically for them. So that way we can, we can really do some comparative analysis. Um, there, there's some, some questions that I want to, I want to compare. Um, so we have a we have a uh, women's event on 420. I hope you'll be there. It's the House yeah. of Jane, and it is focused on women in CBD and cannabis. And for us, uh, we do specifically uh, want to bring in our male allies and really appreciate those men that come forward and support not only uh, women-owned businesses but women within the industry and women beyond this industry, women at large, in really living our best lives. So that'll be great to see. You know. Uh, um, how your data shows that our, our male allies are, are stepping up. Well, I'll tell you that um, the I do have a few questions in this survey about uh, male allies, and you know, I ask if I asked if male allyship is critical to women's success overall, and 64% of women said yes. Um, and then I asked, uh, has male allyship been critical to your success? And it was about 47% said yes. Um, so there were some women who were like, yeah, I did it myself. Um, but, you know, we're finding that uh, colleagues and family members and friends and executive leadership, um, they're important supporters of what we're doing. Um, and we need them. And we need them to step up. I, well, I, I have yeah. to agree. I feel in my own experience, um, you know, I've worked, I've worked, I've worked in a number of different industries and different roles. And uh, just looking at sales, for example, the way that men respond to sales or sales initiatives from other men is so different, in my opinion, in my experience, than they react to other women. So in, in just to give an example of one instance where having a male ally can be beneficial, if you have a sales partner or somebody else in the company that supports the sales initiatives and introduces you, for example, or what have you. Um, it's just, I don't know if it's innately in the human psyche for men and women or what the scenario is. Maybe their men are used to, to uh, you know, discussing business with other men. There could be multiple, multiple uh, relevant, uh, you know, insights there. But um, in my own experience, that's something where I would say uh, they're having a, a male ally in terms of relating men to men or um, connecting the dots there can be beneficial. Absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, we asked about, um, so one of the questions we asked and 43% said that they felt the need to bring a male colleague to an important meeting to be taken seriously. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. And that's a way that men can be supportive as allies. If we need you to come to a meeting, come to the meeting. Um, yes, I, I can and, tell you numerous times, just on that point, numerous times I've had women in this industry tell me that when they go to a business meeting with men, the men do not acknowledge them. They're not seen, they're not heard. They don't take their uh, suggestions or insights valuable, you know, into valuable consideration um, just so many times. So that, and so that's something where I can definitely see that being valid for a lot of women in the industry. Yep. So 
55% have had questions redirected to male co colleagues in meetings. Oh, oh my gosh, I would lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep, and that's, you know, that's where an ally can step in. You know, if, if I'm the expert, my ally should say, please direct your question to yeah. Jennifer. She's the expert. Yeah. Like, that's how you be an ally. Jennifer's got this. Yeah, exactly. Right? And that, that's actually, now that you mention it, that is something I have seen as well. I've seen men say, you know, uh, Jennifer is the expert here. She's got this. If you have any questions, you go to her. And they really assert that woman as the leader in that role. And I thought that was so interesting because I've never seen that in any other industry. And that was something I like, it really warmed my heart to see. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because 67% feel they're taken less seriously because they're a, wo a woman. And I'll tell you something that, that is one of my triggers, because I've heard it so many times, when I show people the stuff that I've been working on, um, one of the most frequent comments that I get is, did you do that all yourself? Yes, I did it all myself. Like. Could I not do it because I'm a girl? Like, what's that question about? I think it's um, more about the amount of, like, the amount of uh, output you have. <laughs> all right, when, we start, when we started this call, I, was, I said, Jennifer, you're really making it happen on so many levels. Um, just like, the education course that you have with Althea, she put that out so fast. I'm still working on mine. And now that we're in, now that we're in COVID and the lockdown, I feel even more pressure to get the education course out because people are doing education courses now. Um, so I think it speaks to your output level. But also, um, just, you know, in working in business, I personally, when I do things myself, I don't even share that because I think it looks like my organization is bigger and stronger, that I have multiple people, you know, chiming in and contributing. So right. just from an ego standpoint, I, I tend to shy away from taking credit for things. <laughs> uh, oddly, oddly. <laughs> So should we talk about the, the segment three, uh, yeah. what we see for the future of the industry? I'd love to hear your insights and you know, what you want to really kind of point out as areas of focus based on your data or what you're seeing in the industry as a whole. You know, I think that um, a couple of issues that I think would be really good to, to work on as an industry, one is unconscious bias and sexism is a thing. Um, and it's, it takes effort to, um, it takes effort to understand, we all have unconscious bias, all of us, and it takes effort to understand what that means and how to make changes. And we all have that responsibility to take that on ourselves to figure that out and be nice to people, like, be nice to people. Oh, I like that. Um, you know, I think that um, skill building for women is going to be important, but not because I think women's lack of skills are the problem. That's not the problem. But skill building can be helpful because it helps women uh, with their self-confidence. Mm. Uh, we asked a, a number of questions about self-confidence, not really asking it that way. But for example, you know, we asked, do any of the, have any of these things held you back professionally, like imposter syndrome, you know, or mm. not charging enough for your time or, you know, a number of different measures. And women need to understand that they are powerful already. You know, we asked them about skills that are important to their, to their job. And then whether they felt um, their, their level of comfort with that skill. And so we have all of these skills that women think are this important, but they're only this good at it. And a lot of them are way better at that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we can do is learn to be more sure of ourselves. And Acknowledge our own. 
yeah, acknowledge our own awesomeness and help other women acknowledge their own awesomeness. You know, being cheerleaders for each other is really helpful um, because it, it helps us stand up to to the bias and the discrimination and the sexism when women have each other's backs. That's such an incredible perspective. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also extremely timely. Um, right now with COVID-19, I've seen a number of global agendas that are a little bit nefarious coming into play at once. And I've also seen what is going to be a huge leap in technology with AI coming in. And already in the last five years, I come from a tech background and speaking with my friends in tech, one of the topics that we discuss is the pending AI and how many roles will be eclipsed. And sadly, the projections for the future indicate that most of the roles that humans participate in will be relegated to cuddling or companionship. Um, and for women who historically uh, oftentimes were forced into prostitution or trafficking or sex work um, when they necessarily didn't want to do that, um, that, that, that's a fear of mine. Where are we going to be, you know, building skills for women to where they're invaluable? Um, like we have computers that can read our minds already. I and mean, this is something that's already here. It's not coming, it's here. <laughs> so it's something that I think about and I don't, you know, as, as an individual throughout my career, I've always had to push to get information and train myself. I never depended on any employer to train me. I always push and it was, it wasn't easy. There's always a lot of flack because oftentimes employers want to keep you down. They want you to stay in your role and that's what you're going to do. But I always knew that I was going to make my own way and I was going to really stand up and be able to provide for myself and I had to work for it. And so sadly. <laughs> but um, so that's something that for me especially resonates. How can we continue to have a role? And women specifically in older, you know, at 60, the age 60, women have fears about how they can provide for themselves because the hiring is skewed so young now. Um, you know, five years ago, six years ago in Santa Monica, I looked around, I was working I in the corporate organization, and I looked around and there's no gray hairs. Nobody has gray hair here. It's what happened to all the gray haired people in Santa Monica. They're not in the workforce anymore. So what is that saying about, you know, what's happening for our ability to provide for ourselves if we're, you know, independent as women and we're reaching the age of 60. So that's another like, major pain point that I see. And uh, I hope that this data can help us to create some solutions around that as well. Yeah. You know, one of the, um, one of the questions was about why women get into the cannabis industry and the top four answers. One is passion for the plant. Yay. Two is, yeah. Two is using existing skills in a new industry. And we have a lot of business owners in this survey and that's what they're doing. They're, they're transferring their skills. They may have aged out somewhere else. You know, I, I, I left advertising cause I felt like I aged out and I was in my thirties. Oh yeah. That's, that's common with advertising too, isn't it? Right. But I had to, I was like, what am I going to do after this? This isn't for old people. I wasn't old yet. Now the grade's coming you're not, in. You're not old now. Getting <laughs> there. Almost 50. So, um, but yeah, well, I like, I like what you're saying about transferring and teaching skills. I went to the world conference a few years back and I put myself out there as a consultant to kind of support people in transitioning into the cannabis industry. It's something I still do. It's something I speak about in my public speaking engagement. So if anybody's listening or watching and they're interested in getting involved with the cannabis industry, talk to me. I'm happy to support you. And I kind of guide you through what that looks like. Awesome. And you know, the, the one other thing that I'll mention, um, you know, that, that women can do to support each other, because we asked that question, you know, what is, what is the, the, what are the things that women can, can do to support each other? You know, what has been most helpful for you? And the number one 
thing is making connections and introductions. You know, there are, there's a subset of the population, um, let's call them those, uh, the financers, you know, the venture capitalists, people with money um, who can throw their money around to invest in companies. You know, here's money for my kid and my kid's friend and my friend's kids. We don't have that, most of us. What we do have are our networks. We have our connections. We have our relationships. That's our currency. And that's how we can help each other. Women said, the majority of women said that making connections and introductions was the most help that they've had. And so networking is critical. Like those who don't like to network, you gotta do it. That's how you get ahead. That's how you meet people. That's how you succeed. And those who, who are good at it, you know, spread the wealth, in, introduce people, help them make connections. Um, it's, it's how we can support each other the most. I, you know, I do a lot of that with my own businesses um, in terms of networking, but also uh, collaborating. You know, is there a way that our organizations can find synergies? Are there ways that we can integrate? And even with, um, you know, if you're looking at advertising, marketing, or getting involved with events, maybe there's some way that the, the brands can come together to do something together that makes it even more interesting for, interesting for the audience or the people that you're trying to engage. So that's yeah. another element. It's not always just about money. Um, sometimes there's ways that we can support each other that do have a ripple effect for our businesses in sales or other ways, but we didn't necessarily have the investment at the, at the onset. So um, as with all things in cannabis, we have to be creative. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's one of our, what's our best, our greatest assets, isn't it? Yep, it sure is. Especially when, you know, I also asked, um, what sacrifices have you made to work in the cannabis industry? And number one, money, money and savings. So we are, taking pay cuts. We're, you know, we're, I don't, I haven't paid myself in a year and a half. So, you know, but we're passionate. We're passionate to be it's in the this fire. Industry. Well, this is the fire, the fire. And this is something I always say is that, you know, it's something so unique to the industry is the fire and the passion. And that's, what's going to get us through. That's what's going to make us successful. And that's how we're going to achieve everything that we want to achieve because yep. it really sets us apart. You don't see the fire and passion in this industry in other industries. You just don't, this it's here. It's incredible. <laughs> it is here. And it's where it is not is, is often with the money that comes in, you know? So that's, that's where we get, that's where we lose the passion. Yeah. You know? So, you know, how do we succeed if we, if, how do we succeed? Fund it. <laughs> right. Well, so this is a good time to say to angel investors out there, uh, do take a look at the cannabis industry. We're a fiery, passionate <laughs> entrepreneur and we're doing it. We have sales, revenue positive, despite all the obstacles that you might put in our path. So know that this is a great place to look and to invest and do consider doing so. Uh, now is the time. And fund women and minority-owned businesses. That's and yes, and fund that. women and minority-owned businesses. Yes, yes. we rise together. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this is a great place uh, to, for us to say, uh, Jennifer. Tell us where everybody can find you, your domains, uh, the best way to contact you, if you would. Yep. So it's LadyJaneBranding.com is the is the Lady Jane website. Um, uh, womeninCannabis.study is the website for for that. You can the survey is still live. Um, I need to shut it down. I need to close it soon so that we can finalize the numbers and get started on the reporting. Um, that'll likely happen before the end of the month. So if you're still interested in taking the study, do it now. Um, 
and then uh, the course that I have on Althea.Solutions is called Sell Joy, and that is um, teaching businesses how to write compliant messaging, FDA compliant messaging for their, for their brands. Will there be a way for people to purchase the data from the study in the, in the future for their businesses if they want a comprehensive package? Uh, yes. So part of that analysis and reporting will be um, putting together market research reports that will be available for sale. Um, profits, after I pay myself because I haven't done it yet, um, <laughs> profits are going to be funneled back into the cannabis industry. Um, I want to be able to provide sponsorships and scholarships and grants, micro grants to women and minority owned businesses. Um, not necessarily, you know, angel investor type stuff. I like to think of it more as fairy godmother type things. Um, but <laughs> so, you know, if you are interested in learning about the data and buying a report, your money will be put to good use. Wonderful. I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> All right. I'm going to uh, just, for those of you that stayed to the end, thank you. <laughs> um, we're going to tell you how you can get involved with the La Loon pendant uh, giveaway. I don't know if you can see that. There we go. La Loon. Um, you can go to our White Buffalo Spirit Instagram account, and then I'll give you the rules to enter. Thank you, everyone who watched. Thank you to all who are listening. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, you can support Conscious Cannabis by visiting ConsciousCannabis.com. I will spell that out for you. C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S cannabis c-a-n-n-a-b-i-z.com my name is courtney aura freeman i'm your host you can find me on instagram at courtney aura freeman you can also find me at white underscore b-u-f-l-o this show is powered by white buffalo we look forward to seeing you very soon and uh, you can look forward to this interview with jennifer coming out on youtube as well as on our website Thank you again to everybody. Thank you to Jennifer for all of your insights for this powerful data that you're putting out in the world and the change and solutions that you're bringing with it. It's really phenomenal. Thank all you, right. Courtney. All right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>